0: This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now. As always, I'm your host, Dan Klein. We're about to kick off another Infantile Spasms Awareness Week, an initiative from the Infantile Spasms Action Network, or ISAN, which runs December 1st through the 7th. ISAN is a collection of 32 national and international entities, including the TSC Alliance, focused on raising awareness of infantile spasms, a devastating type of seizures that usually begins in children who are less than one year old and can lead to developmental delay. This year. In addition to raising awareness of IS with parents and caregivers, ISAN is redoubling our efforts to educate frontline physicians, including pediatricians and ER doctors, who might be the first person confronted with an IS case, and who are key to elevating those cases to the appropriate specialists to ensure a quick diagnosis and start of treatment. To better understand the challenges physicians may face when trying to diagnose IS, and how we might reach these physicians with our messaging, I spoke to Dr. John Meitinger, a pediatric neurologist at Nationwide Children's Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and assistant professor of clinical pediatrics and neurology at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Here's my conversation with John. So I'm now joined by Dr. John Meitinger, Pediatric Neurologist at Nationwide Children's and Assistant Professor of Clinical Pediatrics and Neurology at The Ohio State University College of Medicine. Dr. Meitinger, thank you so much for talking to me today. Happy to be here, Dan. Thank you. So we're talking because it's coming up on Infantile Spasms Awareness Week. So just as a baseline, what are infantile spasms?
1: Well, infantile spasms, they are seizures. And these seizures, unfortunately, are often associated with poor developmental and epilepsy outcomes, meaning that later in life, seizures can be difficult to control in many children with a history of infantile spasms. So these seizures often occur in the setting of a syndrome, which is called West syndrome. And West syndrome is the combination of the infantile spasms, again, which are seizures, and developmental problems, very typical for West syndrome, and then a very irritable and disorganized EEG, sometimes called hypsarrhythmia. Although many children with infantile spasms don't have hypsarrhythmia, about 60% do. And so ultimately, as the nomenclature evolves, we are likely to have this infantile spasm syndrome as the new syndrome diagnosis. Part of the focus of the infantile spasms action network this year
0: is educating frontline physicians, so pediatricians, ER doctors on the signs of infantile spasms and the importance of quick diagnosis, what are some challenges these frontline physicians face when confronted with a potential IS case?
1: Well, they can be difficult to diagnose. One of the key features of infantile spasms are the clustering that occurs. It doesn't happen in every case. Infantile spasms can occur singly, but the clustering, particularly on awakening, is often the key to the diagnosis. They are often appearing as a jerk of some kind or a crunch at the abdomen, a reaching out of the arm, and a flexion at the hip, much like a sit-up, very, very quick. And they often repeat one after another. There's often a delay between each spasm that is three to 30 seconds. That delay between each spasm can be very helpful. And they occur at fairly regular intervals. That allows us to think of spasm when we see clusters like that. And again, I'll emphasize that they're often present on awakening. Even though the spasms are often overt, kind of easy to see, raising concern, they can be subtle as well. So the subtle spasms, which often also cluster, can include just subtle movements of the face. There's uh, something we call retch sign, which is a downward movement of the mouth or the facial appearance just prior to vomiting. Vomiting doesn't occur, but it often has an appearance with the mouth going downward. Sometimes that's associated with an upward eye roll. It can be subtle movements at the shoulder, just a little bit of crunch at the abdomen and flexion at the hips. So it can be very subtle. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges we have in recognizing spasms and a cause for misdiagnosis. I mean, the other thing is, is that You know, we have to be aware of infantile spasms. I think that's why we're talking here. And it has to be on the forefront of somebody's mind. Hopefully it has made primary care physicians, for example, do not miss diagnosis lists. We all think of these diagnoses that should not be missed. And certainly infantile spasms is one of them. So being aware of infantile spasms is the first thing. And then the second thing is understanding the urgency of the diagnosis, because We know that early diagnosis and early effective treatment is critical for optimal outcomes for these kids. You described what these seizures look like and how they cluster, but what are they often misdiagnosed as? The most common thing would be on the order of just, hey, that's normal baby movements. Don't worry about that. Another fairly common thing is consideration for reflux and colic. So those are the things that would be most typical. But if you think about those movements that we had talked about, how they occur In clusters, how they occur at fairly regular intervals with this three to 30 seconds or so, it can be outside that, but that's a very common range. Again, occurring at fairly regular intervals, particularly on awakening. I mean, any infant with clustering spells, the provider really should consider the possibility of infantile spasms in that case. There are some other things as well. We see some children who have muscle tone abnormalities, And they may, for example, have a hyperactive startle or a persistent Moro reflex where children are reaching out with their hands suddenly. That can often be confused with infantile spasms as well.
0: So the infantile spasms action network has worked really hard over the past couple of years of educating parents on what the signs of infantile spasms are and what they should do if they suspect their child is having infantile spasms. In your opinion, what information can parents gather to best assist in a timely diagnosis?
1: This is particularly difficult for parents who many times have never heard of infantile spasms. You know, sometimes people will go to the doctor Google and plug in even the word spasms or baby seizures. And sometimes, fortunately, actually, the diagnosis of infantile spasms can pop up and that can lead to some quick education. And hopefully, they would run into an important and reliable source such as the Infantile Spasms Action Network so that they can you know, learn about infantile spasms and seek urgent care. You know, the very first thing that we would want a family to do, though, is to take a video. The ability for us to look at a video has revolutionized the care of children with epilepsy in general, but particularly helpful with infantile spasms. In my experience, given how common the clustering is with infantile spasms, almost always can a family obtain a home video because these clusters often go on for several minutes and so it's fairly easy to obtain the video so we can look at that video we can look at the characteristics of the video even when it's subtle we can look at that interval the spasms occurring at this fairly regular interval that we find to be very helpful and showing that to your primary care physician the first thing again would be the, the video and then the second thing would be to trust your instincts if parents and caregivers feel, hey, this is not right, this is just feeling unsettling, then they really need to advocate for an answer to what this may be. If the provider that you're seeing is uncertain, then I would request that that provider seek another level of expertise in the evaluation of that video. That's the main thing is just to trust your instincts, show that video to your primary care physician, elevate to the next level of care. If your provider is not able or doesn't have resources or the time to seek out that other provider that next level of care, then you know, I would just advocate for parents to seek that second opinion at an institution or a center where children are cared for who have infantile spasms, where there's experience. If it's challenging to get to one of those locations, to get to a center like Nationwide Children's Hospital, then potentially partnering with a nonprofit such as Mickey's Miracles, which is a great organization that advocates for children to seek higher levels of care for the urgent evaluation and treatment of epilepsy. And full disclosure, I'm on the medical advisory board for Mickey's Miracles, but I do find it to be a great organization. And there are several informative and reliable resources for children with infantile Spasms online.
0: How can advocacy organizations like the Infantile Spasms Action Network best educate frontline physicians, right? Help families overcome that barrier of suspecting something's wrong, going to seek help, and getting pushback? And how can we really drive home the point that infantile spasms are serious and quick diagnosis and intervention are key to the best outcomes for that child?
1: Yeah, I don't have an easy answer. I think that having a reliable resource online where everybody goes to and see what they can find, looking for reliable information and, and the infantile spasms action network provides that. there's you know, a nice video of spasms on the infantile spasms action network website. It's very useful there. And so I think that's a great place to start. And then beyond that, you know, meeting primary care providers, you know, where they are, that's always helpful, you know, whether it be at their national meetings or working in a regional way with experts like myself who also advocate for children with infantile spasms. I think that those partnerships are going to be very useful moving forward.
0: And what sort of messaging do you think would resonate with physicians? You know, you talked earlier about this idea of a do not miss list. I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit on what that is and how we can emphasize that this is something that should be on that kind of list.
1: Again, it's not an easy answer, but you know, and I think it largely comes down to education and that starts at the learner level for medical students, residents, when they rotate with us, there isn't a student or resident that comes through my clinic that doesn't observe a video that I show them on infantile spasms, both subtle and overt spasms and I provide them some information. And so in my view, when these learners come through and they're getting their education, these do not miss diagnosis, they should be building those lists. And as they rotate through neurology and pediatric neurology, we should be teaching them that. And so that's on our shoulders and we should be doing that. You know, many hands make light work. And so one of the additional things that we can do as advocates and experts in infantile spasms would be to participate actively in the education, not only of students and residents, but also our faculty and the attending primary care providers in our region. And there are various ways to do that. One way, for example, you know, we do these grand round talks and lectures. And we often do, if you're a pediatric neurologist, you're giving lectures to other pediatric neurologists. Well, perhaps what we should be doing is actually the pediatric neurologist should be engaging the pediatricians in their lecture series and and educating them whenever possible. Giving a pediatrics grand rounds can really be informative. Hey, this is how you recognize infantile spasms. And if we were all doing that on a regional level, I think that that would really go a long way. And, you know, thinking back to a a situation in 2019, I gave a pediatric grand rounds here at Nationwide Children's Hospital, and I can absolutely say for certain that after that talk, our referrals increased for infantile spasm. There was more awareness. Is there more that we can do? Absolutely. But we also, I think at Nationwide Children's Hospital, as has been done at other centers as well, being available to primary care providers. Who they're presented with a case, they're unsure of what they're seeing. There may be infantile spasms and they want to run the video bias. And I can only speak for myself in this regard, but this is something I commonly do. I work with our regional pediatricians and family doctors to, you know, review these videos and triage children as we think is best.
0: I can say on behalf of the other members of the Infantile Spasms Action Network, thank you for all the work you do advocating for kids with IS. Thank you for everything you're doing, educating the next generation of physicians so that they're aware of IS. And just thank you for taking time to talk to me today and sharing your expertise. It's my pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much for all that you do as well. My thanks again to John for sharing his experience on the challenges of raising awareness of infantile spasms. As John mentioned, we all play a role in moving this effort forward, whether it be advocates meeting doctors where they are and offering them an easy place to get accurate information, professors like John instilling the importance of recognizing infantile spasms to his med students, or other pediatric neurologists offering to be a resource to other doctors in their hospital or region. Even you, the listener, has a role to play. Throughout the next week, the TSC Alliance and other ISAN members will be posting about infantile spasms on our social media channels, and we ask that you share those posts to your followers. Infantile spasms are a medical emergency, and you never know who may see your post and seek medical help because of it. If you or someone you know suspects their child is having infantile spasms, ISAN has created a helpful mnemonic to help guide you on what to do. Stop I-S. S, see the signs. Look for the clusters of jerking motions Dr. Meitinger described. There are videos of what these seizures may look like, on the ISAN website, infantilespasms.org T. Take a video. This will help your physician diagnose IS more quickly. O. Obtain a diagnosis. Time is brain, and the sooner IS is diagnosed, the sooner you can begin intervention. And finally, P. Prioritize treatment. Stopping the spasms is critical to the long-term development of the baby. Finally, as John mentioned, trust your instincts. You know your child. And if you sense something is wrong, seek help. The TSC Alliance and any other of the ISAN member organizations are here to support you in getting a diagnosis and treatment. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can learn more about infantile spasms at infantilespasms.org. Thank you for listening and thank you for helping us raise awareness during Infantile Spasms Awareness Week. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.